welcome to Moonbeaming, a podcast about creativity, magic, tarot, lunar living, and more. I'm your host, Sarah Faith Godestiner, and I am so happy you are here today. Hi, everyone. How is everyone doing today? I am feeling cautiously optimistic, dare I say. (laughs) For now, cautiously optimistic, still processing 2020, to be honest, and also settling into 2021, which is feeling a bit like a different year. It sure is. This week, we're going to have some more new feelings, new different feelings, because we have a beautiful new moon in Capricorn this Wednesday. I think it's one of those new moons, depending where you are, depending on your time zone. I think it's on either either the 12th or the 13th. This is a perfect new moon for grounding some of the dreams and visions you've had that have been floating around in the ethers into reality. It's really a time to attend to structures and schedules, the systems that have to get put into place so that your reality begins to resemble the sweet sweet flavors of your dreams. My dreams tend to be a little more umami. Maybe that's your dreams as well. Uh, I like sweet, but I also like salty and I also like spicy and that's sort of the flavor of my of my 2021 dreams. And you know, to be honest, y'all, I spoke about this in my newsletter that went out uh earlier this month, but as far as I'm concerned, all of January is when I vision and dream and set intentions. I also do seasonal resolutions that I spoke about in the newsletter and I've spoken about in my book and in other places. I think seasonal resolutions are a lot easier um, to carry out. And if you're a little bit of a commitment phobe like I am, it's good to sink into just a few resolutions for a few months and see how those are working for you. This time of year is still an opportune time to clean, to hang out with the spirits of your home, to cast protection magic on yourself, on the space you're in. It's a great time of year to double down on your energetic hygiene, to take breaks from all kinds of media and consumption, and limiting your intake from just about anything or anyone. You know, I think this is also a great time to do some research, to think about learning new skill sets, folding new recipes into your life, so on and so forth and more. This month, I have a January guide. It includes a January tarot poll, new moon ritual and spell suggestions. There's a full moon spell. There's uh, January encouragements, activities, recipes, poems, and more. If you need some inspiration or some, some, some support around your spiritual practice, you might want to pick that up. I created this guide after years of folks telling me that they wanted a digital download because we don't ship to uh, certain ter- certain places outside of the U.S. and Canada, and it was hard for them to get my work. And also, folks didn't want a planner. They really missed my 
many moons workbooks. So this is more akin to the workbook. There's journaling prompts and activities, and really they're evergreen. This is written with January in mind, with the themes of January in mind, but really there are suggestions and tarot pulls and journaling prompts that you can use at any time. So you can go to my website to grab that, and I'll put the link in the show notes. The other thing that's going on this month for me is I'm teaching. I'm teaching this week. Uh, I'm teaching a class on the Alchemist Kitchen. I'll put that link in the show notes. I'm teaching a new moon intention setting space holding for all of y'all this week to really embed and implant some resolutions and intentions that we have for this season or for this year. And this coming Sunday, I'm teaching a class about the Hierophant. We're going to enchant our beliefs and embody our life. Uh, that's that's the title of it. And that's what I'm interested in doing. Hopefully by the time you get to the end of this episode, you'll understand why that is the theme for our first workshop around the Hierophant. We're going to be looking at structures and systems that help us stay devoted and connected to source. We're going to be looking at our own belief systems or the belief systems we want to have. We're going to do some journaling, guided meditations, to really let that energy sink in. And there's also going to be a downloadable guide. So join us. I think it's going to be much needed. At least I know I need it. I want to focus my energy. I want to really work on becoming a better vessel. And I'm ready to prepare to get grounded and make a larger plan, a larger long-term plan when I really haven't had that. 2020 for me was not a year of having long-term plans. It very much was a year of living in the moment. And I'm all here for living in the moment. And the Taurus rising in me wants to make some long-term plans. So if you want to uh, get into that workshop and join, the enrollments close this Thursday. Anyone who signs up gets the recording. So if you can't make the time, no problem. You'll get the download and you can explore at your own leisure. So once again, I had to laugh when I pulled the card of this week. To be clear, I create an outline of what I want to say in the show, and then I sit down to record, I do a meditation, and I pull a card for the week. So I already wanted to talk about this new moon and Capricorn energy, you know, this this time for getting grounded and rooting down. And then, of course, the card of the week that got pulled fully in support of this energy, that's why we love the tarot, is the Three of Pentacles. This week is about making structures out of beliefs or meaning. This is a time to collaborate with all parts of yourself, practice asking for help if you need it, identifying where you need more support, whether it's learning a new skill, you know, or streamlining certain things in your life, trying out a different schedule, or just scheduling in more rest or scheduling in more creative time. This is also a card that asks us to consider our influence or impact as we are deciding to bring forth new projects or bring forth 
aspects of self that we value. I need to remind you, you are priceless. And there's something about this week that is asking you to show up to your talents or your work or your relationships or your schedule or your presence or your energetic hygiene or whatever is coming up for you so you can experience some form of tangible outcome. If you work for yourself, have you raised your rates? Are you doing things in your career that aren't really in your job description or really what you want to be doing? Is there a part of you that wants to shine or is still taking a back seat in certain relationships or in certain, I don't know, family constellations or relationship dynamics or in the home or whatever because you think the entire world might fall apart if you didn't do something different? The time is now to show up. Show up to some aspect of yourself or your life that gives you satisfaction, joy, and purpose. This is a great week for doing self-love or self-trust activities or meditations, for pitching yourself for new projects, for joining a, a course or even like a new meditation schedule or a free offering online, and for creating habits that are going to support you and your community long-term. Yeah, just some things to think about this week, my loves. On today's episode... I'm going to begin my exploration of the tarot card of 2021. Y'all, interrupting myself, 2021, it sounds like, well, one, it's kind of weird and hard to say, but two, doesn't it sound like 2021? Like they won, like last year won. It doesn't, but it just it's because I've I've been saying 2021, like probably all of you, because we're in a new year. I'm just like, it's one of those things where when you stare at a word for long enough, you you think it's spelled wrong or whatever. Okay. I'm digressing. What a blessing. Okay. I'm gonna start my exploration of the Hierophant. This is gonna be an endeavor that I'm gonna be exploring all year round with other episodes around this archetype other episodes exploring this archetype, and also guests that embody aspects of this card that I'm excited about. I've spoken about this before. I'll speak about it again. Partially, I decided to create this podcast for this year so I could have the space and time to explore this archetype because it's one of those archetypes that I believe have been flattened. Uh, I think it's probably one of the major cards right up there with like judgment or what else? I don't know what what another card is where people are like, well, I don't get it. Like they don't get it. Like they can't really relate it to their life. And so I wanted to take the time to break it down in ways that we could start thinking about it so that we can work with this card so that we can collaborate with this card in a way that is supportive to us. I'm always just trying to demystify when I'm teaching. So I wanted to begin today with the basics of this card. I wanted to back up 
several steps so that we all can get on the same page around just some of the basics of the origin of this archetype, the symbology of major arcana number five, because, gentle listener, so often I find that folks do not know the history of the tools they are using. And if you don't know at least a little of the history of the tools you are using, you don't understand the context in which the tool was created. And you also then can't really understand if you are using the tool correctly in a way that is in alignment with your values, with what you believe, your worldview, and so on and so forth. And in this way, I'm getting meta because that's very hierophant. It's about tradition and education and knowledge and wisdom. And if you are a tarot reader, a witch, a scientist, a nurse, a reporter, a chef, a business owner, whatever you do, Knowing the history of your trade and the origins of this trade and why you do what you do is really important. And when you're a tarot reader, you have to be a historian, a philosopher, a counselor, an energy reader, a low-key knowledge keeper of religious, hermetic, and magical traditions. Just low-key. It doesn't have to consume your every day, but just, just you got to sprinkle it in there a little bit. And... Duh, you have to be intuitive. It's also funny. I'm digressing again, but apparently this is uh, what's going on here today. I'm always like, when people are like, I'm an intuitive tarot reader. I'm always like, uh, yeah, duh, I hope so. I hope, I, I hope I'm spending my money to visit you and you are intuitive, right? If you're a tarot reader, you're intuitive. Probably if you're listening to this and you're a nurse, you're intuitive. Probably if you do data entry or do some kind of admin, you're intuitive. Every single person on the planet is intuitive. So I'm digressing. Boop. I wanted to take the time to talk about the traditional symbology of this card also because, let's face it, people get turned off by certain tarot cards for a number of different reasons. The number one reason being the visuals, right? If we are sighted, visuals matter quite a bit. And the visuals in the traditional Arthur Waite, Pamela Coleman Smith deck, they're a little bit intimidating, dare I say, to the name, the name of the card. And other other places I've spoken about not liking to read for clients with certain decks because of names that say Lord of Despair, for example. It doesn't leave a lot of openness. Folks tend to get bummed out, even if it's even if you're like, no, really, it's it's not the Lord of Despair. There's a lot of opportunity. They tend to shut down when they see. I'll just use the word negative, you know, or heavy languaging, you know. So in the Hierophant used to be called the Pope. And the Hierophant is also just a weird word. Let's face it. I'm not really using it every day. In fact, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it because I don't speak ancient Greek, babes. The words out on the street, I don't speak ancient Greek. Third, people get turned off by their associations of what they think the card represents. 
And because of the visuals and because of the language, for a lot of folks, the Hierophant represents organized religion and all the trauma or disinterest or just plain boredom that organized religion represents to them and violence, right? Like there is a very long history of organized religions being violent, violent emotionally, violent mentally, and also waging war. Ever remember a little thing called the Crusades? Like there's a long, long history of religion and militarization being paired together on this planet. So a little bit intense. I'm probably going to say this a couple times. Just a little bit to unpack there. First, we're going to talk about the name. Now, there's a lot that Mr. Waite did that I don't agree with, including barely paying Pamela Coleman-Smith to revolutionize tarot, putting that aside, putting all of the things he did that I don't agree with aside. But one thing I do give him credit for is renaming or naming Major Arcana Five to the Hierophant. Originally, this card was called the Pope. In the Sola Busca, which is one of the first tarot decks we have on record, that is what it's called. In the Marseille style, very popular uh, form of deck uh, that thousands and thousands of people read with, it is called the Pope. And as we know, tarot is a mirror of humanity and cycles of evolution and energy and a whole lot more that all of us experience. It started as a game and as a mirror of a particular civilization, that being Europe in the 1200s to 1500s. That meant that a religious figure or religious figures were absolutely going to be depicted. Sidebar, in some areas, it was so controversial that there were religious figures depicted in tarot decks that some decks changed the hierophant to Jupiter. And I have a couple of older decks where it's number five is Jupiter, which is really interesting. And I'm just folding it in here because it's sort of a, you know, fun fact. Um, so because a history of, of tarot is like sort of a history of all of these different things, a history of belief systems and of trends in civilization and society and so on and so forth. In a lecture I attended once about the origins of the tarot, the lecturer told us that this first line of the major arcana, so really it's zero, the fool I'm including here, because it's the first card, the first and the last, and interwoven in between all of the archetypes is zero, the fool. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Zero through seven is the first line in traditional tarot theory of the major arcana. They let us know that the first line of the major arcana resembles an ancient European processional. Public processionals seem to have begun soon after the recognition of Christianity as their chosen religion of the Roman Empire in the 4th century. Now, not completely exactly, but you could imagine these archetypes in a processional. The jester, right? That's the fool. There's the showman, the the juggler, um, the smoke and mirrors, sparks and awe. That's the magician. We have the queen or the empress. 
the king or the emperor, and of course, the pope or the hierophant. And of course, a processional would end with the charioteer, leaving all of us for the great beyond. I just thought that's also really interesting to think about the historical structure of the first line of the major arcana. So, you know, what's the pope? The pope is sometimes called the face of God. The pope is the figurehead of an organized religion. Organized religions often create culture. They advise the king. They create and enforce rules and laws from their God, a.k.a. their belief system, their organizing principles. And like I said, the, the papacy was not just a religious force, but a political and military force as well. Again, only a little intense here. Arthur Waite created another distinction when he changed the name to the Hierophant. There was a deck in the 1700s called, I'm going to butcher this, so forgive me if you were the inventor of this deck in the 1700s, called the Court de Geblin, Geblin perhaps, maybe it looks French, that used the name the Hierophant before, so Waite wasn't the first to do so. But Waite was an occultist and most likely wanted to extend the meanings of this card to divinity, the sacred, as well as universal metaphysical and magical laws. We know the Golden Dawn was all about that, and Arthur Waite was a part of that. The other thing then that this archetype brings up with this name, the Hierophant, is the function of religion or of spirituality, which is vast. In the past and in the present, religion gives people purpose, provides them with rules and even laws. Everything of what to eat, to how to schedule their time, to what rituals to do, as well as even explaining what happens to them after they die. Religion, then, is also a stand-in for a cosmology, an origin story of the universe, of why the things are the way that they are. And every single civilization from the beginning of time has had cosmologies, organizing myths, the Kabbalah, Sufism, astrologies, Buddhism, and the tarot itself, these are all examples of cosmologies in some way and religions in some way. And in this day and age, we also have the cosmologies of capitalism and materialism and hierarchy and caste systems, which are also huge organizing principles that sometimes, but not always, religion weaves itself into, or spirituality weaves itself into. Mystical pursuits were very often rooted in tradition, which this card can also speak to. And also, you know this, I hope, we need to update certain traditions. We must evolve them. So this archetype can speak to the need to augment or evolve certain traditions while also honoring the aspects of traditions that are life-giving, that are in alignment with who we are and what we believe. I mean, look at the tarot. 
The deck I'm referring to here comes from some deeply rooted traditions, which helps make it effective. I'm a huge fan of learning traditional basics of any system. And then I'm a huge fan of, I say it all the time on this show, taking what you'd like and leaving the rest. You know, like for example, I would not use the Rider Waite Coleman Smith deck to do client readings with because in my opinion, it's not, um, it's, it's not inclusive. It isn't contemporary. It isn't futurist. And I'm really invested in futurist cosmologies that are rooted in ancient truths that serve the entire collective. So that's a little bit of a mouthful, still working on that tagline, but (laughs) that's what I came up for for now. So what does the Hierophant mean? That word means to show what is sacred. To show what is sacred is so beautiful. That's such a beautiful poetic phrase. And when we meditate on these words, we can see there's the teacher, the poet, the choreographer, the botanist, the artist, the journalist, the researcher. There are so many different ways to be tapped into Hierophant energy because the Hierophant's teacher card is temperance, also known as alchemy, also known as art. Hierophant and hierarchy have the same root word, heros. Again, heros means sacred. So there's a correlation here between this archetype and how we relate to structures and questions and concerns around our place in the world that become the organizing principles of our lives, consciously or unconsciously, babes. We're all working with these, right? But what was a hierophant? Like, what was this weird word? The hierophant was a guide that initiated people through the Eleusinian Mysteries. The Eleusinian Mysteries were a multi-day ritual enactment of the story of birth, death, and rebirth performed from the 15th century BC until the 4th century BCE. The Eleusinian Mysteries were secret. They were secret rituals of the mystery school of Eleusis and they were observed every year, a couple of times a year, from circa 1600 BCE to 400 CE. They were held each year in Eleusis, Greece, about 14 miles away from Athens. They're named for a town that Demeter took refuge in as she searched for her abducted daughter, Persephone. This initiation was also known as the rites of Demeter. Like I said, they were secret, so not much was known about these rites. 
They do have mystery in the title, of course, but we know that participants became one with death, then rebirth. We know that they were meant to prepare folks for the challenges of life and also deliver to them a relationship with the divine, which in this case was closely related to cycles of the earth and agriculture. In the rites, which were open to any person who had not killed another person, I found that an interesting aside, folks went through all number of things. They were multi-day situations here. They were blindfolded, they went into caves, they walked over 14 miles, they went to an underworld, they drank hallucinogenic tonics, they watched an animal be sacrificed, they convened with and honored their ancestors, they went into the ocean, and underwent other experiences meant to evoke fear as well as peace and elicit feelings of rebirth and jubilation and purpose. Of course, as Christianity emerged, these mysteries were banned because of some certain conflicts between them and Christianity. And finally, the Goths destroyed their sanctuary, their temple, in 396 CE. So all of this information, all of this history, the word and its origin kind of puts a different spin on this archetype, right? I hope your wheels are turning. If before listening to this, you were not into this archetype, it makes it a little bit interesting, yeah? The Hierophant is this bridge between the divine and humanity. We see this all over the place in our world. The Hierophant is Moses channeling on a mountaintop. The Hierophant is a death doula sitting with people in their last moments on this planet, The Hierophant is a teacher, a guide, a healer, an experienced energy worker. The Hierophant has gotten some glimpse, received some message, figured out some way to heal or to live their purpose, and they now feel compelled to share it and to aid others the way they've been supported. The Hierophant, of course, is also an interpreter. All of us are interpreters. We're interpreters of our own lives. Even if we don't officially identify as interpreters, even if we aren't like an ASL interpreter, what is life if not iterations of various interpretations? And interpretations are influenced by our background, by our beliefs, by our experiences. And all interpretations seek to combine ourselves and our beliefs with a source, whatever it might be. And interpretations, if rigorous enough, if invested and devoted enough, can also challenge an original source. I think of the Haftorah as being an example of this, or anyone who is doing the work to interpret original sources and evolve them and grow them. The other word that comes up a lot with this card a word I've been talking about a lot, and I talked about it last week, is embodiment. This archetype is traditionally a wisdom guide. And a wisdom guide has to go through their own process and learn it enough to embody it. There's a big difference between reading a lot of books on spells and beginning to practice spells. 
there's a lot of difference between reading a book on meditation and meditating for 30 days in a row. This is about embodiment, about bringing these concepts into our bodies, into our practice. There's no um, faking it until you make it. Yeah, sometimes that happens. But I'm saying this is a year where truly authenticity, honesty is going to be key, and that includes embodiment. You know, friends, receipts are going to be at an all-time high. Be careful what you say and what you promise and make sure that you're truly living in alignment with your ethics. Like if in January, February, March, it's time for you to sit down and really think about your practices and what you do and how you act so that you can live more in alignment with your integrity, do it, you know? This is the time to to do this. General announcements. Don't say something. Don't call yourself something you're not. Don't make promises you can't keep. Ever really, of course. But especially this year. Especially don't do that this year. This is number five. Five is this dynamic number. Five is a number of humanity. We have, a lot of us have five fingers. A lot of us have five toes. Five is the number of the pentagram. You know, number five, that's, we have the fifth element, spirit. Uh, Five is magic. It's work. If four is stability, if four is this tabletop energy, then five is this rooftop energy. It's building onto what we already know and being granted a vantage point to be able to see farther. It's this expression of what we can do when we're stable and what can come forth when we connect to our humanity. It's creative energy. It can sometimes be breakthrough energy. It can sometimes be conflict energy. It's a dynamic number. The astrological correspondence that I believe it was Mr. Arthur Waite that named these. I don't love all of the astro correspondences he came up with. Just a reminder that this is like all made up. Uh, Astrology is its own thing. Kabbalah is its own thing. A lot of occultists can bind them with the tarot. Um, And if that adds to your practice, I think that's beautiful. I think it can definitely add to folks practice. And also I'm just remind gentle reminder, we, we can take what we'd like and we can leave the rest. But the astrological correspondence traditionally with this card is Taurus. And this is the second month of our year when everything is in bloom in the Northern Hemisphere. It's really easy to see God and divinity, I believe, when everything is in bloom. The other correlation, of course, here is Venus because Venus correlates with Taurus in traditional astrology. And we have that Demeter connection, right? We have that Venus Demeter for Stephanie, Earth, divinity, cyclical energy with the Taurus, uh, with the Taurus energy, the Venus energy, the Hierophant energy. Another astrological correlation I think of personally, I haven't seen this anywhere, but I think about it with this card is. Chiron, also known as the wounded healer. Often the healer becomes the healer because they need healing, yeah? And then they, they're like, oh, this worked. I'm going to show other people, like, the beauty of this. I saw God. I want you to see God. Or I found support. I want you to get support. 
I also think that the wounded healer is this reminder that we all need a reminding of from time to time that every teacher is simply first and foremost a human being. No one is above or below anyone else. No one should ever be thought of as perfect. You should never expect anything from anyone else that you yourself can't or would not or will not do. And you do not have to agree with every single solitary thing another person believes or thinks in order to appreciate them and their work. We're all human beings. And when we apply false hierarchies on our teachers or our shamans or anyone, that is a recipe for disappointment. So I wanted to just talk a little bit about some of the visuals in the teaching card that I use, which is the Rider Waite Coleman Smith. Here with this card, we have an important departure in the visual structure of line one. The Hierophant is the first card we see where there are multiple people being depicted, multiple beings. This is the first card that explicitly depicts an exchange an exchange of energy, a relationship, a transaction, a situation, a scenario happening here. We see this exchange throughout a lot of the rest of the majors and Pamela Coleman Smith's renditions. We see it in The Lovers. We see it in Chariot. We see it in Devil. It is this echo of as above, so below, that we first see introduced in The Magician. We see this happening rhythmically as a visual device in this deck quite a bit, actually. So within this, we also have two pillars. So it's interesting. It's number five. So we have two pillars and three people. That makes five. These two pillars reference the high priestess and also can provide a reference to this idea of structure that this card sometimes talks about, and also the gatekeeper aspect that this card sometimes brings up. It's real. There can be a gatekeeping aspect with this card. The person, the Hierophant, is holding a a wand. I'm sure there is a actual factual Catholic name for this device, but it is a wand with three crosses that probably references the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If we're getting witchy, which I usually get, we're talking, there's like a lot of witch cosmology. There is a lot of three different sectors of the world, the universe, and us. So there's like the underground, the underworld, there's the middle world, and then there's like the the cosmos, the above world. In ourselves, a lot of um, witchcraft cosmologies, I'm thinking about some European ones, have this idea of we ourselves have these three distinct parts of our body. We have like our lower self, our lower body, which is sort of in the hip area and legs. And then we have our kind of middle self, which is the heart and the tummy. And then we have this higher self or this third part, which is anything from our throat, our voice up into our head, our our thoughts, our mind, our psychic ability, our sight, our sight in many ways, right? So I think about three, you know, as we know, three is a very magic, magic number. So we also have the Hierophant's hand. 
the Hierophant is holding their hand in a benediction or a blessing. There's two fingers pointing skyward and two pointing down, illustrating them being this bridge between heaven and earth, the middle. I wanted to call out my favorite part of this this traditional cards depiction, and that's the keys. I love those little keys, those little crossed keys. It kind of sounds like a pub that you'd find at the edge of the woods, the crossed keys. I believe they reference the keys to the kingdom of heaven, but I think of them personally in my own personal interpretation as this ability to be able to unlock the keys to our own purpose and our own destiny. I also, uh, Hecate is one of my deities that I practice with. So I also think of her as well when I see keys, which again links me back to the Empress and Demeter as Hecate aided Demeter on her journey as she was searching for Persephone. And of course, then we have this echo of the Eleusinian rites, which also calls in the high priestess who has this strong Hecate connection and ropes in the magician and their four elements because the Hierophant is the face of the fifth element, spirit. And we see this in a lot of the symbology in the first line of the tarot, we see these references to the cards that came before them, this building upon of knowledge, of experiences, of initiations, you know? So just something to think about. I also want to take this moment to talk about what we've learned once we've gotten to the Hierophant, card number five in the Major Arcana, in the first line. Now, I want to be clear. I don't think that the tarot is linear because I don't think our lives are linear. And also, I think it's a useful practice to think linearly, (laughs) linearly, I don't know. To think logically, I don't know, whatever the word is, and to think about what came before the Hierophant. So in the first line, we have the magician, then the high priestess, the empress, then the emperor. We have the magician with our exterior, our conscious self. We have high priestess with interior, our subconscious self. We have how we care, how we're cared for, our natural rhythms and cycles, giving and receiving, and the energy that that creates, the divine femme and nature with the empress, and how we lead and take action and invent and innovate and identify with all of these previous iterations we've gone through, with all of these previous evolutions we've gone through with the emperor. All of that prepares us for the Hierophant. Our relationship with the divine and the sacred, this is the spot where we connect to what is sacred inside of us and apply it to the external world. One difference between the high priestess and the Hierophant is that the Hierophant makes belief tangible. The high priestess doesn't always do that. She's more content to swim in mystery. So the Hierophant is this archetype of grappling with what we believe in and how we interact with structures and culture and life itself, because life is made up of 
structures, culture, our families, our communities, ourselves, our internal, our external, that balance between our own nature and that of society and that of the world and the planet. And this is almost always a negotiation. It's almost always an exchange. It is almost always about us figuring out how to live in the world with our own beliefs that might and probably always or sometimes conflict with the beliefs of the culture around us. And that is why a lot of times Hierophant-like people experience suffering, and Hierophant-like people are often ahead of their time. I think about this extreme example of Hierophant in our culture, which is Martin Luther King Jr., a really strong example of this archetype. Ultimately, it was his criticism of war and poverty that caused his murder, Other examples are Mother Teresa, Ama, like the Peace Pilgrim. I also think of this wounded healer archetype, and I think of teachers I really admire who put their humanity and their humility front and center, like Tara Brock is one, Brene Brown is one, Lama Rod Owens is another. Some of the key words that come up with this archetype are traditions, beliefs, faith, structures, systems, teachers, inner wisdom, learning and education, rites and rituals, life events that shape us profoundly or teach us something really deep, spirituality, spirits, ancestors, other helpers, benediction, blessings, tangible reality, I'm putting that in quotes, discernment, prayers and blessings, devotion and commitment, as well as alignment between spirit, heart, mind, and action. When this card comes up, it could be time to step up your spiritual fitness game. It could also be about rearranging your spiritual practice. Maybe you call in different guides, work with different deities, enroll in a class, or get a new spiritual text to explore. Maybe you connect to a particular part of your ancestry. This could be a time to focus on the relationships between your beliefs and your behaviors. It could be time to accept your reality and cast new dreams, both and. Accepting your reality, accepting who you are, allows us to step forward and dream different dreams or create different belief systems. So think about your dream life. Think about the world you want to live in, the world you want all of us to live in, and proceed accordingly. Ideas into reality comes up here strongly. Hierophant energy can absolutely correlate with curating your own life, curating your tangible reality so that it reflects your beliefs, your dreams. I've said this before and goddess knows I'll say it again. Last year, we saw with front row seats 
the wide gap between who people think they are and who they really are. And you might have seen that wide gap in you in some places of who you thought you might be in certain situations and maybe who you were or of what you actually did in certain circumstances. And now we get the chance to apply those beliefs in ways that really reflect who we would like ourselves to be. This is a card about initiations. Remember those mystery rites? And initiations are often intense. Think about the last really intense period of your life. For some of us, it's right now. For some of us, we're still in it because of the pandemic. Think about the last really intense period of your life, though. It's easier to look back and make meaning or a situation in your life and what it taught you, how it changed you. Think about who or what you believe yourself to be initiated into this year. We get to decide. We get to decide. I spoke about this topic. I'm speaking about this topic. This is one of the topics I'm speaking about this year. And I just want to quickly talk about it again, and that's spirituality. Spirituality is not separate from a spiritual practice. Spirituality is what you do. It's who you are. How you are in meditation is how you are in the grocery store, is how you are with your kid when they're having a temper tantrum, is how you are when you're journaling, is how you are in the best day of your life and how you are in the worst day of your life. It's all, it's all interconnected. And this year can offer us some real cohesion around accepting all of who we are with grace and compassion and infusing more of our beliefs, more pleasure, more spirituality into our everyday life. And spirituality has the word spirit in it for a reason. Spirits, maybe. Part of my belief system is that everything is animated. Everything living is imbued with spirit. And I believe in different spirits. I believe there are many, 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 many spirits, far beyond the ones I've met or the ones you've met. I work with different spirits in my magical practice. So this year, this Hierophant year, is an excellent time to hone your relationship to helpful spirits. It's a wonderful time to strengthen the connection you have to the spirits of your home, the land you're on, the elements, your animal, friends, and more. An interpretation that I have for this card is the work of our lives. Again, no big deal. <laughs> nothing nothing intense, nothing to see here. Folks with this card as their soul card often are serious or questioning their role, their purpose. And this questioning, this seriousness often comes with a prolonged intimacy with source, with spirit, and an intimacy of themselves and their gifts. Service figures a lot here for folks 
who are very hierophant or they have this card as their soul card, as do tests of faith. I don't know one spiritual person or witch or meditation teacher who has not had one or multiple tests of faith or spiritual crises. I have had many. I wrote a whole zine about it, How to Survive a Spiritual Crisis. This is a card of healing through spirituality and healing through painful experiences or tests or initiations. There isn't one work, non-plural, of our lives. It really is the works of our lives. It's complex. And this isn't just a job. It could be a calling that has nothing to do with your career. It could be family stuff. It could be healing your ancestral line. Like, for example, one of the topics that is one of the works of my life is play. Learning to play. Feeling safe to play. This is going to be an ongoing theme for me. So you could think about what some of those themes are for you. Because this is a Hierophant year, all of us are going to be questioning and exploring what the work of our lives is or what the work of our life is this year or next year. All of us are going to be implementing evidence of our beliefs. All of us are going to be infusing more of ourselves with the external world, our private lives with our public, our public with our private. This is a year also to make certain beliefs and dreams and creative pursuits solid, tangible. This is a year to become a vessel of our highest selves. This is all hierophant work. Sometimes becoming a vessel of our highest selves includes a lot of humility. So you might want to sit down and do some journaling around these topics or talk to a friend or a family member, and think about what the work of your life feels like this year or for this first couple of months or for this first quarter or whatever it is of your, of your year. Reflect and then integrate. Reflect and then integrate. I spoke a little bit about the shadows of Hierophant. I spoke a lot about it in the January guide. I spoke a lot about it in Many Moons Planner. I think I spoke about it last episode. You know, I don't really read reversals in a traditional sense. I'll probably do an episode on it one of these days. Um, I don't really read uprights in a traditional sense. I could look at an upright card and read it through the shadow lens or read it through the more gnarly lenses of this card. And, you know, it isn't hard to think up what the shadow or extreme aspects of Hierophant are. Rigidity, you know, extrematism, doggedness, dogma, a lack of purpose or a lack of meaning in one's life, materialism giving away too much of your power to someone else, shady shamans, lion gurus, and other abuses of power. We're only going to continue to see this in cults and corporations like everywhere. There then could be doubt, a crisis of faith, having an interaction with a system or a structure that damaged you, not just a church. This could be school or a corporate job or even a friend group that was abusive or had really unhealthy dynamics. 
or triangulation, right? There's three people that Hierophant and the traditional Rider Waite Coleman Smith could be abusing their power. It could also be an event that shakes your faith. So these are all just some things to look at. Um, This is what I have for today. It's a pretty straightforward discussion of some of the more traditional meanings of this card. But in the future, uh, definitely in season two of the show, which is the rest of 2021, I'll be diving more deeply into this archetype and more deeply into my own interpretations. And I hope you'll join me throughout the year. In the meantime, thank you. Sign up for my newsletter. Take a class or two or three or four with me. Please rate and review this podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast, this little podcast that could. Thank you so much for listening. I love you very much. I appreciate your support. And until next week, my babes. are listening to Moonbeaming, a podcast that is presented by modern women. I'm your host, Sarah Faith Godestiner. The editor is Caitlin George Parker. Music is by Will Owen and myself. If you like what you hear or it's giving you benefit, I would love it if you would rate us five stars on Apple Podcast. I'd love it even more if you told a friend or two. All right, bye. When she's in the brown year, doing what they